Breakers. I am Mike Senior and I am here with furniture conductor John Witten for the 42nd <laughs> episode of Project Studio Tea Break. Oh my word, it is 42 now, isn't it? It is the answer to life, the universe and everything. <laughs> this, this episode, we're going to save it for the last bit, so do stay tuned in. And have you earned your tea break then, John? Um, it's very hard to say this month. Oh, right. It is. It's a tricky one. I have been trying to get on the good side of the German tax code. So you've earned your tea break, but you're counting most of it against tax. I will be claiming every <laughs> second of this tea break um, as four different times of special expense in a 90-page form. But the other two things that have been taking up my month, one of them has been preparing social media content for an upcoming project release, which I'm excited to talk about in next month's episode. Wow. And that doesn't feel like work. <laughs> because every bit of advice I'm getting is that it can't feel like work. Because if it feels like work, it'll sound like work. Yeah. But it doesn't take away from the fact that 7.30am, my partner jumps out of bed and gets onto a meeting about engineering standards for a, a radar. Mm. And I'm walking around our local neighbourhood looking for funny things to take mobile phone videos on. and they, they tell me hey john that's valid but there's this bit of me that's like how did i get to this point how did we get here there's a there's a mitchell and webb sketch who and if you're listening to us and you don't know mitchell and webb then i honestly have no idea who you are you're a demographic i never thought we would reach mm. there is a mitchell and webb sketch where um the eponymous pair play roommates and one of them works as an ice cream tester, and the other one works on a children's cancer ward. <laughs> and it's them after work, just, you know, bitching about their difficult days and the difficulty that involves. So that's been half of the time, trying to kind of squeeze my 32-year-old personality towards joy and careless mirth, which apparently is what sells these days. Mm. And the other has been learning double bass. And this is a huge amount of fun for me. Wow! And it's for a job, and it's all very <laughs> Proper, but it just it feels like too much fun when I get to get out of bed mm. and then carry my bass to a local park and spend a few hours figuring my way through some jazz standards and yeah. and writing some of my own stuff on one of the most beautiful instruments I've ever played. Yeah, it's joyous. It's really joyous, and that doesn't earn me anything. I can't take a tea break from that. This is what makes up for doing all those rubbishy things you didn't earn you anything to. <laughs> That's very true. You've got to take it when it comes to you. You've got to grab onto it with both hands and pluck it joyously. That is the first stage of double basing. You do have to grab it with both hands. Otherwise, it is either very quiet or falls over. Yes, yeah. So that's been a huge amount. My fingers, you won't be able to see on the video call and you certainly won't be able to hear on the podcast, but they are ravaged. Yes. They are a mess of blood blisters and determination. But really, oh, it's such a fun instrument. Right. I can't go beyond first position. Yeah. But there's not much that you need to go past. Okay. Real bassists appreciate that I'm not talking about... Look, let me have this. There's not much that you need to go past first position for. I agree with you. Because it's tuned like bass guitar or the, or the lowest uh, pitched four strings of a guitar. Yeah. So you've got a minor tenth just on the open strings. Of the most important notes. Yeah. It's like, there are other instruments who have five octaves of notes that aren't nearly as important as those <laughs> ones. 
<laughs> and so long as you you really learn where like third fret would be, mm. then you've got everything in E minor, G major, C major, A minor, D minor. Yeah, it's fine. Mm. I don't know. I'm going to work on a couple of little high bits on the G string, but for the most part, you've got to tick that off in your I Spy bass player book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. No, genuinely, one thing that I've got is to learn a piece which necessitates me using my thumb on the fretboard. Oh yeah. Because when you reach really far up the instrument, yeah. yeah, rather than using fingers for reasons that having played the bass still don't even slightly understand fingers would still totally work it's to show off i mean it's what it is <laughs> you get a much cooler hand position when your thumb's on top like that you do you do. it looks pretty neat look forward to wicked bleeding thumb joints though when you do that have you played bass nope <laughs> but i went on orchestral courses with a lot of cellists oh goodness me who were doing a lot of that kind of stuff a lot of that nonsense yep stick me down there in first position give me something with three sharps or fewer and and a hi-hat to alternate with <laughs> <laughs> it oh it's so much fun it's one of the most jammable instruments on and because there are few sounds more immediately satisfying or idiosyncratic than a bit of a bass slide when you kind of pluck a note and then just kind of move it a bit yes it doesn't matter if you get the notes wrong no because mm -hmm. you slide them to somewhere correct yeah and everyone claps <laughs> again Real bassists, I appreciate that there is a craft. And the great thing about it as well is that certainly if you're in a small group mm. and you're playing the bass and you play out of tune, mm. it sounds like everyone else is out of tune. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's incredible. The ear does just jump to that conclusion of, oh, everyone else has suddenly got a bit flat. Yeah, you've got to kind of look around and suck your teeth occasionally if you, if you hit one of those dodgy notes <laughs> just to consolidate that impression. Okay, genuinely, and this is something I've noticed and I'm not, I don't hope to employ in the next job in case my employer ever listens to this. But there's also so much of the job of a double bass on small ensemble yeah. is just that sound quality. Mm. And you know, if you've got a guitar stomping along as well and a violin playing chords, mm. then if you just don't finger the notes particularly hard, yeah. but still you're slapping the strings about and you've got a thump, you're 70-80% of the way there. You can easily get away with a bar and a half of that while you look for where on earth you are on the music. I'm just kind of chuntering. Yes, you can chunter along very happily on the bass for a good amount of time before anyone knows anything's amiss. I like that a lot. Now, the only danger, I'll keep this brief because this is the longest definition of a non-earned tea break ever, <laughs> is that Berlin is a city rich with artists. Yes. This has its upsides, I'm sure. Yeah. But it does mean... That there's a lot of bands. Yes. But there's even more potential bands, people who'd quite like to be in a band, but aren't in one yet. Ah. Uh, and playing yes. a double bass in a park is catnip. <laughs> even playing it as badly as someone who picked it up two weeks ago, which, to be clear, is how badly I'm playing it. But, John, you bring a lifetime of experience of playing instruments badly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, look, I've absolutely imbued it with my personal <laughs> style of I don't know how to play this instrument very well. Yeah. In fact, I reckon I can chunter on more instruments than anyone else you know. I can make noises that sound in ensemble settings enough like playing to get away with it on damn near anything. Mm. I love conversations. I love meeting new musicians and talking to them about... Yeah. The one that I just... I Still, the audacity sticks with me. A guy came over and said, hi. And I said, oh, hey. And he said he liked the bass. And I said, that's awesome. Me too. And we, we chatted for a minute. And I said, well, I've got to get back to practicing. And he said, right, so. He went away. And three minutes later, he came back with a chair and a guitar. <gasps> and he sat down across from me. And he said, this first song's in G. 
It's one I wrote a couple of years ago. Wow. Look, we, we, we have, mm. I, I think, and I may be casting aspersions here, I think we have this in common, just that, you know, I have limits that can't be pushed. And so, I, you know, I looked at him and I said, oh, great, what's, what's the chord sequence? <laughs> because I'm not going to stand up to him or anyone. Yeah. Not when they're being nice. It's just inconceivable to me yeah. that I would do anything but spend the next 45 minutes of my life oh. playing along wow. to his songs and receiving scathing criticisms on my bass technique. Even oh, wow. Just, I'd only been playing for a couple of weeks. I mean, there are so many layers to it. He was the most demanding band leader of a band that I had explicitly not agreed to be. <laughs> that I've ever worked with for no money. Wow. When I'd rather have been practicing. It was quite an experience, so I don't go to that park anymore. What in the end encouraged him to go away? Was he like, oh, must get cracking on, I've got some practice to do. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, after I dropped quite a lot of hints about, you know, needing to get on with my exercises, <laughs> absolutely no avail. Yeah. Except occasionally being told that playing with people was the best type of practice. I just said, I'm, I'm going home now. And I, I hadn't planned to go home that early. I was going to keep practicing. But <laughs> Mike, in every single sense, he won. Yes. He just won. And I had to bow out. You don't get to hang out in the boxing ring after you get knocked out. You can't just sort of no. invite some friends up and wander around it. That's what the winner does. So I, I left the park to him. Yeah. Yeah. And found another park to go to. The perils of being a public double bass player. Really? Oh God, my sympathy goes out to anyone with any actual ability on the instrument. I can only imagine <laughs> it's a hundred times worse. It must be like a rugby scrum round them. <laughs> this though, this is another type of instrument I attract. Mm. Now, it's the kind of instrument that you can work very hard on mm. and, and really try to find your voice on. Yes. And it will, it will attract people and they will come over and they'll say, what a beautiful instrument. Yeah. Which is true, but maybe not what I spent the last 10 years yeah. trying to... I'm, hmm, the instrument by itself is a box. Yes. I want some of the credit here. Well, I mean, we can't go chatting about double basses forever because we have to deal with this month's follow-up. No, not until we find out whether Mike's earned his tea break. Well, I have I have actually massively earned my tea break this month. Hey, it's got to be you. said, even though I say so myself. Um, I've been over in the UK mm -hmm. and I've been just visiting all and sundry and going all over the place. Amazing. And I came back in the middle of last week basically for a rest. <laughs> <laughs> go, oh my God, what have I just been doing? Oh, I'm so glad. I, and <laughs> did you manage to get everything lined up and queued up and everything before you, you headed off? Because I remember that was a Herculean task you had set before. It was a lot of setup to it. But then the kind of week and a bit that I had all laid out, meeting various people and mm. chuntering around to Manchester and Brighton and Cambridge and all sorts of places, it all went like slightly suspiciously to plan. <laughs> That's the most overly cynical thing I've ever heard. You know when something comes off with this kind of ordered efficiency and mm. well-oiled machinery, and you get to the end and you go, oh, it's a bit like stepping off an, uh, um, an escalator. Mm. And you get that kind of, oh, and you go, did that really go as well as that? No, it's true. <laughs> Whenever I, I hear, especially if it's carrying me, a smooth, well-oiled machine running too quietly, I just look for the telltale detached bolt rattling around on the floor or something the, the harbinger of what's yeah, to come yeah yeah well no congratulations i'm so glad that came off yeah and, and the, the other thing i've been doing is collecting together news for this month which we will get to oh i can't wait but before we get there we have follow-up for this month mm -hmm. we have had another mail from one of our favorite patrons dariush haven't heard from you in a bit how are you uh, well he was commenting on our previous uh, q a about what jobs we'd do if if music 
ceased to become an option. Mm. And he said, having had first-hand experience, I cannot overstate how well John's assessment of horrifying applies to the low-level IT and networking. (laughs) (laughs) As opposed to high-level coding. (laughs) Recommending it is not something I would do to a friend. Yes, there are people who like it and revel in it, but they're a very special kind of masochist. You know when you are one. (laughs) So I like that. Oh, it's nice to be validated. Thank you very much for that. But there is a second piece of follow-up that I think will give you even greater joy. If such a thing were even possible. And that is that Rebecca Angel (gasps) has released her new single. And... Her debut album. Sorry, everyone. Podcasts off. I'm off to YouTube. Um, to our pets. Uh, till next time. We've got a Patreon. You know, you know the drill. We have till now, which is her kind of putting words to that famous Saty Gymnopoly. Gosh, really? In a kind of a jazz style. I'm going to be the 377th viewer of this thing, but I am very politely going to wait until we reach a section break before I dive in and have a listen. But actually, she's had more success mm. with her, I think, her previous single, which was a cover of Just the Two of Us. Oh, gosh. And it's been her most successful release so far. It's topped various charts in her kind of area. Okay, hey, go her. But she has also done the video that is the answer to your prayers. <gasps> she's done a live in the living room version with she and a guitarist. Oh, yes, that's all we ever wanted. And it is... By a country mile, the best thing I've ever seen from her. Oh. I will send you the link, because you have to see it straight away. Okay. Lovely. Isn't that just what you've always wanted to hear her do? 100%. Well, you see, this makes me suspect that even though she's never actually been able to squeeze us into her schedule to come on the show, (laughs) that she has been following what we've been saying. Let's, let's absolutely, let us both... Mike Senior and John Whitten take credit for this young woman's artistic development. I think I think that's a good look for us. I think we should credit ourselves for her artistic growth, if not exclusively, mm. then at least primarily. Yeah. So my, my question is, and you know, this is in the context of she has yet to find the time to, um, mm. as you say, make it on the podcast. Hey, Rebecca, no bad feeling. We'll get you when we get you. Sooner or later, our, our schedules will mesh. Mm-hmm. So from the position of two people whose opinions she doesn't, shouldn't, and never will care about, mm. if you were in an advisory position, say a managerial position, yeah. and she kind of arrived to work with you with her body of work as it is, and this video, yeah. with the aim of making good music that people will enjoy, what would you suggest you do next? All right. Well, now that we've shown this stepping stone, like which should be the next one? Right, yeah. Either in terms of what's the next big project or what's the next thing to put out, What's the direction that you would be excited to see her excited about? Well, I mean, you could follow that with a whole bunch of other director Facebook, director YouTube kind of live streamy things. Yeah. She's clearly good at it. Yeah. Um, you could take a small group on club tours and stuff, couldn't you? A hundred percent. I mean, she's obviously got a lot of love and support in her local area, which is amazing. Yeah. It's exciting for me to come across an artist who's got a community. Yeah. And not just like other bands they know, but like people who aren't bands yeah. who love them and love what they do. That's yeah. really cool, especially when they're starting out. Yeah. So just stuff that engages. Take me out around your town. Do one of these, yeah. but in like the shop that you've been shopping at since you were eight, in the park, in the with people like organized backing vocalists from a local amateur choir. Like yeah. they've made you there so you make them yours. Like bring them together. That's a really exciting part for me of, of what she's doing. 
doing. And her Instagram and stuff is quite kind of personal in that respect. It's like got stuff from her wedding because the guy in the video there's her husband. Oh, cool. Her new husband. That's that way. You know, I was about to ask if there was an old husband. <laughs> last night of my business. Something in the way you said that <laughs> made me think that, according to Instagram, there was one every other week. That that's why she hadn't uh, had her mind entirely on her publicity for her music career. <laughs> Just getting through different husbands. Again, that's a lovely thing. Like, new husband-wife duo. Yeah. But you see, I don't think she's just been taking our advice on this repertoire issue. Has she fired her publicist? Because I remember that being our second highest priority. Well, it, it looks like she might have a new publicist. Oh, wow! No longer can you discover on her site that she went to Ithaca College. <laughs> no! Yeah, she has a mailing list, which... I signed up to about as quickly as I could possibly sign up to anything. And I will be right behind you. <laughs> like, we, we make a lot of sarcasm in this show. I'm genuinely really excited that she has yeah. apparently got a better, much more competent publicist or, or whatever this person's... Well, I think all of these improvements, all of this growth is all a great thing. And I think it's come in the very nick of time. Oh, yeah. How's that? Read me the, um, the web address you're on. This site is RebeccaAngel.net. Just delete the final three characters and put com instead. Okay, so dot com. Oh. oh. Well, I find myself now on a blog of someone called Rebecca Angel. Rebecca Angel Maxwell. Oh, please, please read the subtitle, though. Writing. Music. Tea. I mean, she's practically the patron saint of the podcast, oh, straight away. Like, what, do we do? what do we do? Well... We've sworn loyalty to Rebecca Angel, but which? This is the battle of the Rebecca Angels, <laughs> because she's also on YouTube. She is also releasing music. Wait, for real? Her music is much quirkier than, than Rebecca Angel's. It's actually rather cool. Mike, Mike, we both love her, but there is porridge more quirky than Rebecca Angel. <laughs> like, I, this, this in itself is not... She has a song called... I want to be a librarian. <laughs> and if you remember the Rebecca Angel's top video is 6,000 views. This has 3.2 thousand views. Oh, they are vying, is what you're telling me. And her very top song on YouTube has 6.8 thousand views. Oh. So they are neck and neck for the highest rated video. Assuming you don't count the 44,000 views she has for the same song on the Puncrustination channel. Wait, one more time. Is this Rebecca Angel Maxwell or Rebecca Angel Angel? No, this is RebeccaAngel.com. <laughs> As opposed to the RebeccaAngel.net we've been dealing with before. So, .com has got a 44,000 views music video. She certainly does. Let me send it to you. I mean, l let me have it. <laughs> this has given me such... Um, Tori Amos? Regina Spector, but Tori Amos as well. What an absolute powerhouse. <laughs> what fun. And she's got just masses of stuff on her YouTube channel. She did kind of live streams and stuff. She's got Time of Your Life played on the nose flute. <laughs> <laughs> she just live streamed that. It's so funny. She's great. That's really lovely. It's hotting up now. It is. There's everything to play for. Everyone's upping their game. I mean, which one? I'm sure this is keeping them both up night. Mm. Is going to win the Project Studio Tea Break sponsorship. Are we going to have a situation where we support Rebecca's Angel? Well. Um, as their plurality? Is there a collaboration? <laughs> Collaboration coming up. Rebecca Angel 2. <laughs> Grudge <laughs> match. <laughs> the quirkening. She writes about fictional wizards. That's amazing. Oh, she's brilliant. She has a, a, a blog dedicated to tea. I mean, look, here's the thing. 
I would love to invite her onto the podcast mm-hmm. to talk to her about this music and stuff. But I just don't know how we handle the introduction of, well, <laughs> we got kind of obsessed with a musician called Rebecca Angel. And then... But you know, I think she might appreciate it. I mean, look, depending on how quirky she's feeling, we could ask her on to answer questions as the other Rebecca Angel. <laughs> she could come on... I just spent the whole time asking her about the other Rebecca Angel's <laughs> oeuvre and touring dates and stuff. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, dear. <laughs> how on earth did you find RebeccaAngel.com? It's because I put Rebecca Angel into Google to see what her SEO was like. Right. RebeccaAngel.net is still ranking higher than RebeccaAngel.com. Oh, interesting. But, you know, obviously lagging behind a bit on YouTube, so it really is neck and neck. I just, I really like her music, Mike. I just like her attitude, frankly. <laughs> she just yeah. does really crazy stuff on her YouTube and just doesn't give a crap. It's great. Also, for anyone who knows this term, her website is cottagecore. Oh, as oh, heck. I have to interrupt you. Oh, yes, please do. Breaking news. Contact at RebeccaAngel.com. Please email me general questions, kind comments, silly requests, <gasps> or flat-out praise. Mike! Slam dunk. <laughs> we have all of the above, and she <laughs> likes tea oh what's the limit okay i'm not going to, i'm really curious about her opinions on tea she looks like someone i would really trust we can sign up for the very occasional newsletter for exclusive content and first dibs on new projects well i'm gonna have to do that too okay just so you know so you're bringing your a game as well and you don't accuse me of insider trading later mm-hmm. um i'm signing up for this mailing list and i'm using as my name john your biggest fan witten <laughs> So, <laughs> oh, I see. The game's afoot. You're going to be telling her you're a double bass player next. <laughs> I mean, look, <laughs> Mike, if it comes up. <laughs> Now, some months on the Project Studio Tea Break news desk, you know, we need to really hunt around and ferret out those pearls of newsaliciousness. It's true. There is a degree of scratching in the dirt. But this month, it has been the exact opposite. Oh, really? We're practically buried under exciting news stories. Absolutely wonderful. And so it's been a real challenge to select the ones that really deserve our proper attention. Our laser-like gaze. You see, I could have reported on the fact that apparently splashes of water are better than loud noises through headphones when potty training cows... Okay, I just need a moment to sit with that sentence. Okay, I mean, I I believe you. Well, you see, apparently they were trying to decrease the uh, polluting effects of cow urine. Okay. And so they wondered whether they could, because cows are quite intelligent, they wondered whether they they could train them to actually urinate in a specific place, a kind of a fake grass thing that then went into a trough as like a urinal. Okay. So they could prevent this pollution. Sounds like a plan. And they were trying to give them this kind of carrot and stick thing. Mm-hmm. When they did it correctly, then they would get some kind of a treat. But if they didn't, then they tried different things to discourage them. And then they found that splashing them with water was more effective than playing them loud sounds through headphones. <laughs> and I just love the idea of cows walking around with headphones on. <laughs> I do love the idea of someone with, like, presumably a bag full of little water pistols sprinting <laughs> around a large field trying to spot if a cow is peeing wrong. <laughs> you know, quick enough so the association can be made. Just pegging it across a pasture. <laughs> kind of dual-wielding two super soakers yes. um, and spraying the cow down. It's all in the name of science. But I couldn't 
didn't report on that this month. Oh no! Well, sadly, we won't have time to even even kind of talk about it. I don't imagine. And you see, I, I could have covered the story about the baby on the cover of Nirvana's Nevermind. Oh, now this one I did come across. <laughs> Who is suing fifteen of the people involved? with that, including the Cobain estate. Yes. He's now 30, a guy called Spencer Eldon, who was four months old on the cover and claims that because they included a dollar bill on the cover, that it makes it appear like it's sex work. Because apparently in California, non-sexualized images of children are legal. I mean, trying to make any claim that that was a a sexualized (laughs) image. I mean, look, it is a full frontal nude of a baby. And I think there's very valid opinions conversations to be had around that. Mm. Saying that because there was a dollar bill on a fish hook, that people are going to look at that baby and be like, oh, the baby's a prostitute. I would like to meet someone who thought that they were clever and had figured out Nirvana with that particular hot take, but maybe they're out there. I don't know. I thought it was more a kind of a take on consumerism. Right? I mean, that's the obvious listening to anything Nirvana has sung or said. But by the same token, it was non-consensual. And he says that this has actually impacted on his life considerably. I'm not even slightly surprised it has. I mean, I'd be amazed if it hadn't. Now, as I say, I would have liked to report on this, but but I just couldn't (laughs) get into any depth. Much like the swimming baby who can't be more than 50 (laughs) centimetres under. It's an amateur swim. Yes. I I wanted to see a more impressive dive. Mm. Four out of ten. You see, I could also have reported... On the sad passing of arguably the world's oldest metal singer. And who's this? 99-year-old Inge Ginsberg, Holocaust survivor from Vienna. Oh my God. Who spied for the Americans in Switzerland towards the end of the war. Then went over to uh, uh, the US and was writing songs for Capital in the 50s. That's amazing. But went on Switzerland's Got Talent at the age of 94 with this band, uh, Inge and the Tritone Kings. <laughs> and subsequently entered the 2015 and 2016 Eurovision Song Contest for Switzerland. Well, as in, was Switzerland... Nope. I think the 2016 one was the lowest scoring entry in the kind of pre-selection process. <laughs> but um, it's actually the 2015 one that I think is the best one. It's called Talk Köpfchen, which is little skulls. Okay. I'll send you the link. That was just brilliant. It's good, isn't it? And the comments are full of wholesome positivity <laughs> and one of my favourite puns of recent times, Grandstein. <laughs> <laughs> one word and does all the work it needs to. But unfortunately, that's another of these news stories I haven't been able to report on this month. <laughs> How did that not make the cut? The news that you've been waiting for, mm-hmm. the reason that you got up this morning, is that Andrew Lloyd Webber's new musical, Cinderella, has finally reopened mm-hmm. following the COVID-19-related delays in June this year. Be still, my beating heart. <laughs> I'm just trying to calm myself down a bit more so that I can record. But sadly, I can't report on that because there's oh! more exciting news. <laughs> and I just wanted to see John's face. Ah, oh, most displeased. <laughs> Although just a little bit of trivia before we pass. <laughs> yes. Apparently the title role of Cinderella is being played by Carrie Hope Fletcher. Okay. Who's the younger sister of one of McFly's lead singers, <laughs> Tom Fletcher. <laughs> okay, I've got a lot of time for McFly. And to be clear, I'm sure that the designers and cast and musicians are all are all amazing and that the musical will be a huge commercial success. <laughs> you can ungrit your teeth now. I'll uncurl my toes <laughs> one by one. Which brings me to my actual news story for this month. Okay, ready. Now, John, what songs do you associate with Bing Crosby? Uh, White Christmas. Straight away. Any others trip off the tongue? You know what? I am quite sure there are other songs by him that I know well. Probably he's sung pretty much every song in existence at some point, hasn't he? I was going to say, he's in my head, he's an American songbook guy. What about the song My Woman? 
Um, no, that one doesn't ring any bells. No, me neither. Neither really does anyone else know it. It was co-written with Max Wartell and Irving Woolman and uh, Bing recorded it for Brunswick Records in February of 1932. Golly, so his big break is what we're saying. <laughs> and it basically sunk without a trace. Right, okay. But, and there's always a but in a story like this. I'm so glad that there is. It was then covered by a British band leader about nine months later, a guy called Liu Stone uh-huh. and his Monsignor band. Hmm. And with a, a vocal verse by um, Al Bowley, who's a, one of my favourite 30 Zero singers. OK, well, I'm, I'm glad it got revived. And as you'd expect, given the way um, copyright works, basically the publishing royalties went to Bing Crosby and his two writers. Because oh. they'd written the song and Liu Stone had done a cover. OK, right? that makes sense. But now, hold on to your hat, and let's fast forward now to 1997. That's quite a bit of hat holding, but I'm gripped on tight, yeah. And uh, British Indian indie musician uh, Jyoti Mishra. (laughs) Okay. He samples the Liu Stone record (gasps) to create the massive one-hit wonder, Your Woman, under the moniker White Town. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know that song. Huge, huge hit. All over Europe, even got onto the Billboard charts. And it actually, it's one of the most inspiring Project Studio stories ever. Yeah. Because basically this guy came out of nowhere, did a kind of a hit and run on the music industry. <laughs> this is 97, right? The track was created on an Emu Emacs 2 sampler, a Casio CZ1, an Atari ST running like free MIDI sequencing software. Oh my God. And was recorded, no word of a lie, on five tracks of a Tascam 688 cassette Porter Studio. That's... The vocal mic was a realistic PZM. You know those horrible old... I do! <laughs> Boundary mics. Oh, that is inspiring. You're right. And the thing is, he actually ended up writing a bit for Sound on Sound. We, we got to know him a little bit. Seriously? And he's such an inspiring guy. and so funny. So what did he go on to do? Well, he's been releasing music as White Town for years, but totally one-hit wonder. But basically, it bought him a very nice house in Norwich. <laughs> Yeah, no, he's very cheery about it. Good. But there is one slight aspect of this that leaves a slightly sour taste in the mouth. Hmm. And that is that Jyoti Mishra sampled the opening four bars of the Lou Stone record, which are Lou Stone's arrangement. Okay. And they have nothing to do with the melody or lyrics Ah, of the original Bing Crosby song. In any way. That bit isn't in there. Oh, no. And yet the publishing is split four ways between Jyoti Mishra... Bing Crosby and his two writers. So basically, Bing Crosby and his two writers piggybacked onto a huge hit that they had nothing to do with. Literally nothing to do with. Yep. And the arrangers of the recording are kind of left out in the cold. Right. That's a bit rubbish, isn't it? This is a news item, though. (laughs) So it gets even better. Bing Crosby's estate did the right thing and handed over the money. (laughs) Don't you wish? Don't I just? Like the Rolling Stones finally gave Richard Ashcroft his songwriting credit back on Bittersweet Symphony. Really? A few years back. I didn't know that. That's really cool. And that actually also was nothing to do with the Stones either. That was a David Whittaker arrangement riff that they nicked off an Andrew Oldham record, which is a cover (laughs) of Stone stuff. Oh, just so long as the money winds up going to large labels and... And the person who didn't do the work, yeah. Okay, so it gets even better because Dua Lipa has just recently released a single called Love Again. Yes, indeed. Yeah, this is where I have recently heard that riff. Exactly. Prominently under the hook section of Love Again is the same sample of the Loose Stone record, looped in exactly the same way Jody Mishra did. <laughs> but the publishing credit goes to Dua Lipa, her three co-writers... 
Bing Crosby and his two co-writers, mm-hmm. and neither Lou Stone nor Jyoti Mishra get any publishing. Oh my God! So neither the person who originally created that bit of music, <laughs> nor the person who popularised its use as a sample, have got any money off it. <sighs> it's just one of the most amazing bits of copyright absurdity. Hmm. And the thing is, it makes me think... Are we in for a rash of copycat copyright travesties? Like this one. Like, imagine someone does another record with that Lalo Schifrin sample from Portishead's Sour Times. Well, or like Daft Punk. Or any of the samples that Moby used on Play or Fatboy Slim used on any of his stuff. And that basically a whole bunch of people are going to go back and sample a whole bunch of original stuff, maybe out of copyright or whatever. And the person who put a large amount of work into making those things as famous as they are gets nothing out gets of it. Gets absolutely nothing at all. Except a, effectively a kind of a name check in the press by association. I mean, they've interviewed Jyoti Mishra about it and he's very affable about the whole thing. I mean, he's made a, a load of money out of it anyway, but it's, it's just this kind of misfiring of the copyright machine occasionally. Yeah. Bing Crosby had nothing whatsoever to do with it. Any of it. No. He didn't write the original thing. He didn't no. do the Jersey Mistral thing. He had nothing to do with the song that Dua Lipa and her people right. wrote. Would it be fair to say they're not following the spirit of the law? It's just another example of the law being an ass about <laughs> stuff. <laughs> All right, time for facepalm. Mm. There's lots to be done. You're talking to a man who was given free tickets for the Book of Mormon on its opening night, mm. got the day wrong, turned up at the theatre. Oh. Yeah, oh. two days after it was meant to happen. No, you didn't. I did, I did. I won a competition online. I entered on a whim. I was given press night tickets. Oh, wow. For some reason, I thought it was Sunday. I, you know, I got my plus one darling friend, Greg, brought him over, and the, the theatre was closed. That is... Deeply. It is. It is. I thought if I said it quickly, it would hurt less. I was wrong. <laughs> 100% wrong. Hurts just as much. Well, Lotter and I managed to pick up returns for Hamilton when we were in England. <gasps> oh, my words! And actually, this is a hot tip. Okay, hit me. Because of the COVID situation, mm-hmm. they're packing the theatres out. But of course, inevitably, some people get a positive test and can't come. Oh, so returns are a hot ticket right now. Now is a golden age for returns. Because mm. I, obviously I was expecting to be all sold out and just on a whim just went over to the booking page. And literally every night for the following five nights, there were two or three tickets spare. That's so cool. Because my older daughter is a massive fan of Hamilton. So we snapped up the tickets. I'm not even slightly surprised. She is. He is the A-L-E-X-A-N-D-E-R. We are yeah. meant to be a colony that runs independently. <laughs> God, it's good. What did you think? Uh, it was great. Yeah, I always find myself in those things thinking how much better value it is sitting in one of those shows than in your regular arena concert. Oh, my word. Right? I just think, wow, how brilliant it sounds, how perfectly it's designed for the space. Mm. You know, you're right there. I mean, we had really good tickets. We were lucky. So we were like... 10 rows back from the front. Oh. It was great. And the cast were really good as well. It was the UK cast, so it was really good. Controversially, my favourite songs in that are the ones by King... Gosh, would it be King James? Oh, well, absolutely. There's no question. And he totally stole the show when we were there too. It's just the person doing the different thing, isn't it? Yes. And And somehow in a show full of hip-hop homages, someone is coming on and singing a very classic musical theatre song in a plum accent. And it's so catchy as a song like that. That's the one that Lotter and I kept whistling as we were walking around the house afterwards. <laughs> 
Okay, before I start singing it and we get into copyright trouble. Yes. So, as part of this aforementioned social media content generation kick okay. I've been on. Yeah. It's given me an excuse to get on with something I've wanted to do for ages. Okay. Which is to say I, I am a child of the 90s and as such I've wasted countless hours looking at funny GIFs. Okay. Or GIFs if you're wrong. Um, <laughs> and the, the most satisfying of these to me has always been the ones that just sort of loop and part of the pleasure is they've got a rhythm to them. Okay, yes, I know the ones. And especially after four or five times through, it's not choreographed per se, it's not on a grid, but just there is a rhythm to it. Yes. So much fun. Yes. And I've always thought to myself, God, if I had a computer that could just kind of loop one of these, mm-hmm. I would love to put music behind it. Like this would be so lovely to put something free-flowing and see what came out. And kind of riff off the rhythm that's in the existing GIF. Being as responsive as possible. Mm. And you've seen a couple of kind of test examples of this. There's one I did with some athlete jumping on a trampoline. Yes. And there's one I did with various flutes on a football crowd. Yeah. It's great fun. And I cannot recommend it enough. Yeah. Normally takes about half a day to get one of these down from, you know, picking one to doing rough recordings to going through. None of these things are polished. Right. It's just kind of sketches to, to, to play with. Well, how do you start that process, though? I don't know. Do you kind of bop along silently to the rhythm of the thing while you're getting your first idea? Or how does that work? It's been different on each one. I know, I know you're used to conducting things silently. So. <laughs> Sadly so, the pot plants being my only um, reliable ensemble. So first I pick a dominant movement, one that I'm going to start with. Okay. I'll just loop that and then find something to sing that fits that as closely as possible. Mm. And then the next and the next. Okay. Other ones, like the one I'm about to talk about, I couldn't quite feel it. So I started by manually dragging a sound, in this case, like a metal, uh, sorry, a stone xylophone that I have. I kind of made some recordings of that and I manually dragged that to kind of the real accents of the movement. Right. And then I turned off the video and I listened to that a few times. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, what's this doing? Okay. And I kind of pushed on from there. One of a man boxing. I just watched the video without any sound, round and round and round and round mm. and tried to come up with a bass line where every hit had a bass note. That was the kind of the obvious thought to me is, okay, there's, there's bound to be this percussive rhythm to that. Weirdly difficult to get past that, though, and it felt like a joke. Felt too prescriptive. Yeah, a little bit. It's like if you like word paint too much when you're doing an arrangement of a song, it begins to become comic. Exactly, it was that. It was pastiche. Yeah. Whereas I'm more interested in just kind of using these to pull music off of because I'm a very deep and serious artist. It's the double bass that does it. Yes, that's the one. (laughs) On Thursday, I found um, a gif of someone finger-tutting. Now, have you come across finger-tutting before? Is it like... <laughs> listen, listen, Mr. Mike Senior, your friend and mine, just raised a single finger and waggled it backwards and forwards while making a sort of tut tut facial expression, admonishing me gently but firmly. So it wasn't that then? No, Mike, it's not. But I mean, honestly, it. <laughs> the real description isn't much less silly. It's a sort of waving around of fingers, but in a really fluid way. When people get good at it, their fingers look like they're water itself. And oh, okay. I mean, I'm wiggling my fingers in front of the camera as if I could do this. I can't. It's just people waving their hands around, but creating kind of weird optical illusions with it. Yes, there you go. Like hands appear to pass through each other and and multiply, and fingers yeah. splay out around the place. It's really cool, and it's quite rhythmic. It's got a. Dum- Dum 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 dum. 
vibe to it. Great, I thought. Yeah. This is going to be a super easy one. Ideal. And so just to help me kind of see the rhythm better, I took this stone xylophone and I kind of hit it a bunch of times and then split and dragged those to kind of the main points. Mm -hmm. It was already a bit of a rhythm. That's great. I put some delay on it mm -hmm. to kind of work that. And this sound took me to Gamelan, which I played for ages. I didn't know you played Gamelan. Yeah! But then, how often do I find myself saying that? I didn't know you played <laughs> Nose Flute or whatever it is. And you always go, oh, yeah, yeah, of course I did that as well. No, I played Genda Wayang, which is a, a chamber form with just like four metallophones. Okay, right. It's for accompanying shadow puppetry. Ah, I begin to see the connection. It's all basically the same direction. It's like a, a, a drunk man wandering home. <laughs> there are all sorts of kind of wibbles and wobbles on the way, but you can see what he's aiming for. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I put some Gamelani patterns in between these kind of main notes. Okay. It was fun to play with as well because Gamelan is a very um, free-flowing music metronomically, which is yes. even more incredible because it's played by ensembles who are so tight, but you couldn't put a metronome to it. It really, really speeds and slows. Isn't it kind of polyrhythmic and stuff as well, isn't it? Yep, there you go. Yeah. But kind of, and even with like pulse sections, they've got huge accelerandos and ritarnandos. To use the technical Gamelan term. <laughs> <laughs> to use the original Javanese, yeah. Uh, and that, that was fun as well. And then, so I had this kind of Gamelan-y bass and yep. I got out my low D whistle because I'm addicted to it at the moment. It sounds cool. It was really fun. I like like it. And then, you know, I put it to bed and I thought, great, I've got another one in the box. That's another one for posting. Yeah. But this isn't the well done, John. You did a competent <laughs> job today. Yeah, I've been desperately hunting for the chink in the armour of this plan. There was a hint to it early. <laughs> so I, I'm trying at the moment to like shy away from using cartoon clips because of course there's lots of Disney clips with brilliant rhythm yeah. in them, like old Disney, old Popeye. Yeah. But this practice of matching instrumental musical material to image Mm. I mean, literally called Mickey Mousing Yes Can make something feel cartoonish Right And the next day When I opened up this file Synced with the video And saw a woman who appears to be Of East Asian or Southeast Asian extraction Along with a sort of Clearly a ham impression of Gamelan with a ham impression of a Bansuri flute on top. It was the single most offensive thing I have ever watched. I genuinely couldn't make it to the end and it lasts all of 14 seconds. Oh, wow. It was... Awful, Mike. It was so... I mean, appropriative is even the wrong word because it isn't Gamelan, which, no. again, in a different context is fine because I wasn't trying to make it Gamelan. I was just inspired by. Yeah. Ditto, like, the Bansuri sound. Yeah. But even with only 12 hours of space from the creation, I was like, well, no. This shouldn't be out in the world even at all, even a bit. Yeah. Like, with my name on it or not, this just shouldn't be available to anyone else. And I'm going to try and save it because I love this, the rhythm of this. And I'm going to try and change up the instruments and change some of the rhythmic what's-its. Oh, I mean, what a kind of a sickening, like, whiplash turnaround. It, oh, Mike, you could not be saying it better. Yeah, it was. It's almost like you don't recognise it, even though you do. Exactly. It was so offensive. I have made the most offensive video I've seen this year. <laughs> and entirely by accident, I promise. And you've self-moderated. I mean, you're ideal for social media. <laughs> 
You create the offensive content and then you self-moderate it. It will never see the light of day, night or any other season. But it's like the moment you're in, isn't it? And the sounds you choose and you don't know quite where the inspiration comes from. If you start messing with that, the whole thing falls apart. Looking back on it, maybe it doesn't qualify as a face one because I don't think I would have done anything different because I don't think those moments are when you want to be looking out for that sort of thing. Self-editing. Self-editing. No, because Stone's xylophone does just have a sound world quite similar to an instrument in Gamelan. Yeah. And the few keys that I was using reminded me of the Pelog tuning system. Yep. And if any time I had one of those thoughts, I thought about the appropriateness in a broader political context, (laughs) then I would never get to the point of... It's the kind of create drunk, edit sober mentality. Bingo. I would be really curious to hear from any listeners who feel differently about this but i think the thing to really do is to make and sometimes make this stuff because you're not paying that attention and then bin it yeah <laughs> that's okay and, you, and you've learned from it so far at least there's no such thing as thought crime there you go and if recognizing one's own mistakes and changing it becomes wait a minute wait a minute this is meant to be a face palm and now it's just john's heroic efforts in the space of a difficult world this is not <laughs> not where we meant to be but okay fine i'll take it um so that's that's a wonderful thing i did This is a momentous episode. My word. Because for the first time ever, we have a pioneering moment in the art of toast foley. Oh my, okay. This month, we have the first stereo toast foley, I think. No, I'm pretty sure you're right. So here it is. All right, I'm ready. Oh my god, the width, the spread. Literally. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'm very into this. God, it's like my nose is pressed in to the center of the toast. <laughs> and this knife is just kind of going one side to the other. It's a bit ASMR, isn't it? I am assuming that you set up like a crossed pair <laughs> over a slice of toast. Is this actual toast or is this. It is actual toast and it is even better. Than you think it is. Oh, please do tell. Wait a moment. I'm about to send you a video. Oh, my word. Yes, please. And then you can describe to the listeners what it is you see. <gasps> yes! <laughs> Mike, that was quick. So, listeners, what I'm seeing is, Mike, the red plate, piece of crustless toast spreading butter across it. It's all fine. Now, what I'm also seeing is in the top left and top right hand corners of these pieces of toast clamped onto the toast (laughs) itself are a pair of contact microphones just as we promised we would. They are. Mike, what have we got here? These are the Cortado Mark III microphones, a pair of which I picked up when I was in the UK. (laughs) And they do a bloody good job. They sound great. And actually, it's pioneering Toast Foley in another way, if I think about it, because this is the first Toast Foley we've recorded without interfacing with the air. (laughs) Yes, without that nasty, uncrunchy oxygen getting in the way of the crunch of the sound. Yeah. I love the width. I'm assuming this is 100% left, 100% right. Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, it is. Pure ASMR. They are so fun already. I mean, that's pretty much, as you can imagine, the very first thing I did with them. But... (laughs) Just clamping them to almost anything is unreasonable amounts of fun. Put a pair of headphones on and just go around and put them on things. Well, okay. A tasty, crunchy piece of toast, ready for some high-quality jam. I'm going to need you to bear with me here because it's going to sound uninspiring. Okay. My jam, because I'm a little bit basic, it's going to be Happy by Pharrell. 
Now, are you familiar with the tune? I'm very familiar with it. Yeah, okay. So, what's your broad take on the track? The thing that struck me about it is how much of it is like a copy-paste job. As in, rather than different takes being used for each chorus. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot of copying and pasting in it. And you can kind of phase cancel lots of bits in it <laughs> at different points. Of course you've discovered that. <laughs> You see, that's my jam, isn't it? You know? <laughs> Absolutely. And okay, so I'll say for me, it was a like upbeat, enjoyed it, but very forgettable pop number. Yeah. The coolest bit for me was that E major chord at the end of the chorus. Just thinking about it. We're in E minor, basically. And then the chorus comes in and it's got C major, B minor. And then up to a tonic major, up to E major. Oh, that's cool, yeah. It's neat. I like that kind of stuff, actually, yeah. It didn't carry the song for me. No. And I just quietly put it in the like, okay, this is a really simple, shallow pop song. Yeah. Then, about a week ago, okay, I heard the man who mixed Happy by Pharrell. Leslie Braithwaite. This is the guy do a breakdown of all the vocals. Oh, right. And I honestly was blown away. I'm going to send you a link just now. So there is a, a channel on YouTube called King Acapella, and they've isolated the vocal tracks. And it's a little bit chorusy. There's artifacts of how they've got it here, but you can hear the individual vocal parts. And about two minutes during kind of the final chorus, there is what I'm going to go out on limb and describe as some really sublime choral writing. Yes, I've just had a listen and I know what you mean. Choral writing is important to me. It's where I started with music and I would never in a hundred years have expected to find it here. There are internal suspensions. There's internal modulation. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It makes me think of Taverner. It makes me think of Ritter. It makes me think of Britain. Like it's... They're actually doing honest to goodness kind of part writing in the backing vocals. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing you were saying about the harmonies plays into that as well because you get these nice changes through between the different harmonies because the harmonies are quite characteristic movements. Yeah. I also, this is something that I often despair of in Project Studio productions mm. is that the backing vocals always seem to be done as an afterthought by someone who can't sing. Hmm. Whereas, right. actually, in most commercial productions, it's almost like they try even harder for the backing vocals than they do with the lead vocals. <laughs> because you have to fight against this homogenizing effect that you get when you layer vocals up. Right. And you can hear them doing it on this arrangement. At the ends of the phrases and stuff, you hear these little fall-offs and you hear... Yeah. You know, it, it just feels committed. Yeah, I love it when backing vocals properly give it the welly as opposed to just going, oh, well, these are just chords. So I've got a lot of time for Pharrell Williams generally. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I was a huge fan of the Neptunes. His productions of Justin Timberlake are the best thing Justin Timberlake has ever done. Yes! Oh, wow, I found a fellow fan. Oh, my God, look, we could go for hours. Yeah. Have you listened to the nerd stuff? Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, oh. wow. <laughs> like, which makes me even more ashamed that when he came on the scene as a solo pop artist, yeah. I was as dismissive as I could possibly be. <laughs> I didn't know that this guy had been instrumental in the creation of so much music I loved. And a kind of a careful listen to a bunch of his stuff reveals like this thing in Happy. Like, yes. I love that little choral snatch. It's almost like this, this psalm, this sung psalm, but really fast. Yes, an upbeat in this song. In this literally happy, clappy song. Interestingly, so when um, Leslie Braithwaite, he was talking about pretty much all the backing vocals until right at the end. Uh, just Pharrell himself and uh, a woman called Rare Dummett. Yeah. Each part, there were about six or seven 
of exactly the same parts. All stacked. All stacked. And almost no processing. Yes. Like a bit of de-esser and some very subtle compression. But the main effect was the great voice. Yes. And the, the natural chorus that you get from making a, I guess, literally a chorus. <laughs> but also that particular kind of tone you get where you get lots of the same singer. Yeah, about the same distance from the same mic. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that noise. But the other thing it reminds me of, actually, listening to that acapella, is I was thinking to myself, you know, you could put a beat with that and you'd have something that would punch as much as something like Lord's Royals. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's strong enough that it could almost have carried that track on its own. I know what you mean. It almost feels like a waste that it's got lost behind the rest of it. The rest of it for me, the sound of that track, when I think of it, is the clapping. Yeah. That's the noise. And if you'd asked me before last week, I couldn't have told you much about that song besides the clapping. I mean, I remember the electric piano that's going... Should we just beatbox the whole thing? <laughs> but if I said, hey, if I said to you, hey, how, um, what do you think of the vocal polyphony? What do you think of the like early church music inspired intertwining vocals? I mean, I'm just gutted that he didn't credit Palestrina. <laughs> oh, no, no, on Spotify, they are one of the writers. <laughs> Weirdly, Palestrina's estate got all the money from this track because he just sampled a bit of Miserere Nobis. And actually, the arrangement on Blurred Lines, the vocal arrangement on Blurred Lines, I've always thought was really good too. Yeah. And I'm assuming he had a hand in that. Now, this is a really good example of what we were talking about. To me, Blurred Lines right now, it's kind of gross sexual politics aside, it's a cowbell and it's kind of a loose feeling structure. It's not super versy chorusy. It's just kind of yeah. through composed. Yeah. But I could not tell you anything about the vocal arrangement. It's really quite nuanced. Oh. All the octaves and the little harmonies and the way they're putting falsettos with lower harmonies and then pitch shifting stuff. That's and so cool. It's a really clever arrangement. And it's a shame to me that mm. I think it's a really good track. And the whole political element of it completely kind of sidelined the appreciation of it. And then followed by the copyright claim. Being sued by Marvin Gaye. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, <laughs> couldn't, you couldn't hear the track after that. And with that, I think it's time to thank our sponsor of the month. This is Granular Systems. Absolutely. With their series of MIDI-based percussion instruments. Incredible. The real advantage of this is that the software component of this hardware software system is so quick and easy to download. Mm. Because you just download a sample of an individual little bit of rice inside your shaker. Oh. And then the hardware then triggers that multiple times. Oh. When each little bit of rice inside the shaker hits the side of it. Okay, so my piano roll is going to look like middle C is a machine gun. Yeah, it's just every single time one of these pieces of rice hits the side, it's going to play. Well, no, no, no. This, this is, of course, a multi-sample. It's a kind of a round-robin thing. Okay. So you would just see this cloud of MIDI notes every time you shake it. Incredible. I mean, I, I'd buy one of those. <laughs> Price at under 60, 70 euros. We have a customer. Because, of course, the fun comes when you take it off its native sample. I mean, what would you get out of a, out of a harp multi-sample if you threw that MIDI at it? Oh my God. I kind of... But on a harp and with <laughs> velocity kind of um, fixed to pitch. Or a GM drum kit. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 
That's the answer. That right there is the answer. Fine. You nailed it. Well, thank you so much, Granular Systems. I hope that you continue to be very real and exist because I would quite like your product. So if you would also like to sponsor this fiercely independent podcast, mm. um, do head over to our Patreon campaign, patreon.com slash Project Studio Tea Break. We have plenty of extras this month. We have lots more stuff about Kukura Kuku. Paloma that I've mispronounced. Oh my god. We went on about that. We did. Because it's got the most fascinating rhythm. That we never properly were able to understand or tap our foot to. No. No. <laughs> Not properly. I will get there. We have our music practice hacks, and we also have the special news item we did about the recent British Town Cryer Championships. <laughs> oh, exciting. Which, you know, who knows? Maybe one day that'll be us. Do you have anything to plug, John? I do. Excellent. Since last time we talked, tickets for my show at the Royal Opera House. Wolf, Witch, Giant, Fairy, spelt like it sounds, or separate words, have been released. They are going really fast. Fabulous. And uh, I think about two-thirds of the dates are already sold out. Crumbs! But there are a bunch more going. It's, it's up from the 10th of December to the 3rd of January. Brilliant family show with... It's a collaboration between Little Bulb Theatre, if you come across them. Yes. And the Royal Opera House. Fabulous. So I, I commend it. It would be lovely to see some tea breakers there. So what's your kind of role as part of the production? Are you, are you musical directing this one? It's very ensemble So we are co-writing. Um, I'm playing double bass and dulcimer and singing and everyone's a musician, everyone's an actor. Bit of everything. It's lots of instrument swapping and running in and out of the stage. As if that's ever caused problems. <laughs> It keeps it fun. We just got sent a mock-up of the stage design a few days ago, and it looks absolutely beautiful. I'm so excited to um, wow to get in there and get rehearsing. Oh, that's so exciting. Um, how about you? Anything you need people to double-click on? Nothing special at the moment. I've just done a, an article on SOS about the remote choir production thing I did. Oh, cool. So if yeah. you want to read more about that, head over to this month's SOS. What's the article called? It's called Remote Vocal Production, although on the cover line it said um, something like... Producing an online choir. No studio, no problem. <laughs> I'd like to say I came up with that strap line, which was much better than my title, but I didn't. <laughs> hey, always a team effort. Yes. That's the key. And if you would like to get hold of us here and send in your suggestions for things we should cover, then email us at tbreak at projectstudioteabreak.com. Can we be got on social media, John? That we absolutely can, Mike. We can be tweeted at at PSTB Tweets, and we can be Facebooked at facebook.com forward slash PSTB Books. That's tremendous news. I thought as much. And with that wonderful news, we've had so much good news this episode. So much good news. <laughs> and, and with all our love to every Rebecca Angel everywhere in the world. To all Rebeccas and all angels. <laughs> all right. Ta-ra, pets. Ta-ra. Ta-ra.